Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, that's what we were called before we were called Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. For three days, he was out without sight and neither ate nor drank. I was reading this passage one day um, during, during Epiphany, and I was like, this is Paul's Epiphany moment. And I was so intrigued by the idea that God blinded him so that he could see. And that God sometimes takes such dramatic approaches to get people's attention. And I was like, I want to, I want to spend more time with this passage. I want, to, I want to take a little more time and see why would God blind somebody in order that they may see. So I'm going to, I'm going to set the scene for you. And that's best done, I think, by going to Galatians. So Galatians is Paul's, Galatians 1 is Paul telling the same story that we just read, but it's from his perspective. Whereas in Acts, we're reading it from Luke's perspective. So this is what Paul says about himself at this time. And I think she has, oh, you're so impressive. Good job. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God, and I was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people for the same, of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. So at this time, Paul is going from Jerusalem. He has a letter that he's been given to go north to Damascus to try to, um, to try to round up more people who are following the way, who are following Christianity. So he's headed up north, and he is hoping to be able to, um, to arrest more people to come and to be, some of them to be killed. And he's telling you, I was, I was good at this. I was good at this. And as he was going, we see this often in the scripture stories, as someone's going, right, God stops them and gets a hold of them. This is an experience. As he was going and approaching Damascus, a light from heaven flashed around him. And here's the part that catches our attention, the language. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So if you're wondering Saul, if you're wondering, Saul is the Hebrew name for Paul. So if you've heard Paul, same person, this is Saul. And he's saying, why do you persecute me? 
And can you imagine Paul's like, I don't, who, who are you? I don't, I don't recognize you. Have I seen you before? Because Paul's like, I, I've, rec- I've, you know, I've persecuted a lot of people, but I don't, re- I don't recognize you. And this is where Jesus says to him, if you persecute me, if you persecute my people, you persecute me. This is where Paul begins to see the body of Christ. If one part of the body of Christ is being persecuted, then the other part hurts. And it's also where he's seeing what Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. If you do something to the least of these, you're doing it to me. Because Paul's thinking, I don't, I don't remember you. I don't recognize you. And so here he's saying, he's showing him that when you harm these people, you're harming, you're harming me. For three days, Paul is wrestling with God. I kind of see it, as I was reading it, I see it kind of like the story of Jacob. Jacob had to wrestle with God to come to peace with God. And Paul's story, it's dramatic. Don't you hope that God doesn't have to blind you to get your attention? It's super dramatic. And I kind of saw it as Paul is wrestling. This is what it took for Paul to be able to hear God. I don't think that the three days really matters. I didn't see anywhere in all the commentaries. But I imagine what it would be like to be blind for three days. And I don't think anywhere we see that Paul was told, oh, after three days you're going to see again. Like, I think I've heard this story a lot of times, and I never imagined what it would actually be like to be Paul and to be sitting there going, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to see again. And it reminded me of this time when um, I've worn glasses or contacts since I was six years old. And when Jamie and I were still living in Marysville, uh, my eyesight, I was starting to have problems seeing and I remembered when I was a little girl, the, the optometrist said to me, like, just half joking, like, oh, I'll be lucky if you're not blind by the time you're 70. And, I, and that's, that's, that's terrifying. And so, so when I'm in my 20s and the kids were little, I'm going to get the mail, and my eyes were getting worse and worse. And I remember getting up to the street, and I'd have to cross the road to get the mail. And we lived on a, a moderately busy road at that time, not super. And I realized I couldn't see well enough. I'm like, I can't see well enough to cross this road. That's very scary. And so I just like, I'm going to have to go home and wait for Jamie to take me into the optometrist. And I went in and I had um, like, when she shined the light on, I could see it had like growths, like little growths growing on my eye. And she had to take tweezers and she sat there and she like pulled them one at a time off my it was so terrifying and I'm like am I gonna go blind and she's like stop moving (laughs) she's gonna be fine and um it reminded me of that how I was terrified that I was gonna be blind and so I'm imagining for Paul like think about it he's never gonna forget this and he talks about it through the epistles right as you read he does not forget this moment Ever. This epiphany is something that he looks back to and he can stand on. I think maybe he needed something so dramatic because his life was going to be so hard following Christ that he needed to know that there was, you could look back. Do you guys have any of those moments where like sometimes when you're like, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I believe or I'm pretty, 
yeah, I'm, I'm certain. You have these moments where you can look back and you remember that you, you I, I did hear God's voice. I did see that happen. Um, I, I was thinking, like, his epiphany moment is quite grand. I think a lot of my epiphany moments have been small, but maybe it's because I didn't, I didn't need what Paul needed to get my attention. But Paul will never forget this encounter. When I was looking at Paul's wrestling with God, I noticed the passage right above this, and it's the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And I never noticed it before, but I think that they're placed there on purpose. Because I'll remind you if you haven't heard the story in a while. So the story of the Ethiopian eunuch is he's reading the Bible. He's reading in Isaiah. And he's sitting there, and he doesn't understand what he's reading. And Philip hears from the Holy Spirit. He's one of the disciples. Philip hears from the Holy Spirit. Go, go explain the scriptures to him. So Philip bravely goes and explains them to the eunuch. And the eunuch immediately, all he needed was this scripture explained to him. He immediately believed, and he's like, hey, let's baptize me. He was immediately believed, and he was baptized. And then look at Paul. Paul needed to be blinded for three days in order for Jesus to get his attention. And I thought, it's kind of how some of us are. Some of us are like, oh, I've been waiting to hear that. Thank you for explaining it to me. Uh, Jamie, this week, was uh, getting with Amelia. Getting, she was getting her braces done. And this lady shared her story of how she came to Christ. And basically, someone just explained it to her. And she was like, oh, yes, I've been waiting to hear that. And she accepted Jesus in the moment. And we hear those stories. And then I think there's some of us who are more like Paul and it takes so much to get our attention. And we almost have to like be blinded in order for us to be able to see. I just think it's real. I think Luke put them there for us to see the differences between the two. Um, I think a lot of times in the church, we want things to go in a certain order and to look a certain way. Like, this is the way people become a Christian, or this is the way people receive the Holy Spirit, or this is the way a miracle happens. And I am no different. I remember when I learned about the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit was still alive because I grew up in a church that said that wasn't, the, the Holy Spirit wasn't still operating anymore. Um, I remember thinking, well, how does it work? And so I remember reading through the stories and marking. I wanted to find, like, how do you make this happen? How can you repeat this? So I would read through the scriptures and I'd mark all the ways that someone could receive the Holy Spirit. And I also remember going through and marking all the ways that a miracle would happen. And I think this is the same thing. There's not a set way. Sometimes miracles happen by someone reaching out and touching Jesus. Sometimes he wasn't even in the space with them. People received the Holy Spirit when they were worshiping together. People received the Holy Spirit when they're like, hey, have you ever heard about the Holy Spirit? No, I haven't. Would you like to receive it? Yes, I would. Boom, Holy Spirit. Um, I, have, I have a really recent story that I've been holding and I've been wanting to share with you. I'm in a soul formation program that meets um, in Oregon. told you a lot about it because I love it. 
Um, and people come from all different denominations. There's 30 of us and probably like 25 denominations. And I have a small group. There's three of us ladies in a group together. And one lady, they taught on the Trinity. And she's like, I didn't know the Holy Spirit, like, I just didn't know the Holy Spirit was like a thing or like the Holy Spirit was still speaking. In my, my church circle, we don't talk about that. And it's all of a sudden, she just believed. Like she just needed to be told. And you guys, I have seen her life change. It's mind-blowing to watch. She now, she asks the Holy Spirit to guide her and to lead her. And I have seen her grow in such joy and simple things. Um, lots of them are very small, but they seem so big when I look at how much she's changed. Um, that's a distraction. But I've been wanting to tell you that story um, because, because our lives are different when we listen to the Holy Spirit. And our lives are full of more joy when we are willing to ask and to seek and to hear what God has for us. So what I see going back is from here is that we don't all come to Christ the same way. Um, I'm sorry, I got distracted. What, what I see here after here is, um, okay, pause. The next piece here is Ananias comes to pray for Paul. So how did Paul find his sight again? The Holy Spirit spoke to Ananias and said, I want you to go pray for Saul. At that point, he was Saul. And Ananias was probably like, much like myself, and he's like, scared. I don't, I don't want to. Have you heard what he's doing? I, I don't want to do that. He's probably going to kill me. And I think, I appreciate that he was a little bit scared because sometimes I'm a little bit scared, or often I'm a little bit scared to do what God asked me to do. And I also appreciate that he did it anyways because I often do it anyways. Um, so Ananias went, and he prayed, and he laid hands on him. And he prayed for him, and he received the Holy Spirit and his sight. It's interesting when you read the story in Acts, because it says for three days he was in Damascus, and then he went about his ministry. And I always thought, I know, I know that Paul basically has like a doctorate in theology, but how did he receive this mysterious encounter with the risen Christ and three days later go out? How is he ready to go about and teach and lead a ministry? So I was really, uh, it made sense to me when we were studying Galatians last, preaching through Galatians last spring, that Paul tells the story with a little bit more detail. So what happened was, Paul, after this, goes to Arabia for three years before he starts his ministry. And he goes off by himself. And Arabia is a picture of the desert. So after his encounter with Jesus, before he is ready to go about and do what God has called him to do, before he probably even knows what God has called him to do, he goes off to Arabia. And that makes a lot more sense to me, that he would need some time. 
And all it says is that he met with James, who was one of the other leaders of the church at that time, and he met with Peter for two weeks before he was ready to go out. What was super interesting to me as I was studying this time is that Arabia is where Mount Sinai is. And it's very, it was very common for the prophets to go to meet with God at Mount Sinai. And it is where Elijah went to meet with God. And it's very, very likely that Paul went to the same place where God didn't come in the earthquake and God didn't come in the fire or the storm, but God came in the quiet, quiet, still voice. And so before Paul was ready to be and to learn his calling, he needed to be in the wilderness. And I think the same is often true of us. We need time in the wilderness, and maybe it's not the wilderness like Arabia, but sometimes it's the quiet and alone just to hear from God. We need to hear what he has to say to us. Paul needed to be blinded in order that he might see. Paul's epiphany moment, I wrote here, brought him to encounter the mystery of the risen Christ. The Christ who is also available to us. Paul needed time to understand, as he wrote in Galatians 2.20. I love this passage. I think this is what I would like tattooed. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. It takes time to come to that place. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. This is the beginning of Paul's journey, and this is the beginning of his conversion. And we're going to see, and we see how he develops um, and finds true life, which is Christ. Paul needed to learn that it's not what he thought it was all about. He thought he really understood. He had more knowledge than almost, like, almost everybody and he thought he knew what it was about, but until he met Jesus, he didn't really understand what it was about. And the same is true for us. Until we meet Jesus, we don't really know what it's about. As I was thinking about the message and kind of coming to the end, my heart was for, yes, us to have epiphany moments. Moments where we understand things that we need to understand that we didn't understand before. But also, it began to put on my heart to pray for epiphany moments for the people that I love who haven't come to um, understand Jesus yet or the mystery of Jesus. And it also helped me to realize that some people are going to come like the eunuch and they're going to come, oh, that's it, now I get it. And other people who we maybe dearly, dearly love, it's going to take a little bit more like Paul. It could take longer, and they might come wrestling with God. 
I think that someone here wants or needs an epiphany moment where they meet Jesus. Maybe like Paul, or maybe like the Ethiopian eunuch. Exactly how you need to encounter God. I have this quote I've been carrying around with me, and I'm going to read it to you. It's from Jesus in the Disinherited by Howard Thurman. To some, God and Jesus may appeal in a way other than to us. Some may come to faith in God and to love without a conscious attachment to Jesus. Both maybe nature and good men besides Jesus may lead us to God. They who seek God with all their hearts must However, someday, on their way, meet Jesus at some point. And I think this quote has been important to me because there's a large group in the church now that says that there's lots of ways, and they don't include Jesus. And it feels, and I think it's important, I think it's important to remember that it is through Jesus, and it's not all of the ways. So as I close today, uh, we like to close just taking a moment for you to ponder in your heart what might have stirred from God today. We're going to be still for 30 seconds to a minute. And as we finish up Epiphany, as we finish up this season of asking God to reveal things, that maybe we need to see that we haven't seen before. I ask you just to listen. And maybe in this quiet space, you might want to hold somebody that you've been loving and that you hold so dear and seeking God for their epiphany moment and trusting that it'll happen. So I'll be still. All right, will you stand with me? And we close by singing the doxology together. My voice is tired. All right, please, please join me. I'll just get us started. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. 